Hello there. Welcome to Actors Talk Podcast. This is episode 61. My name is Tommy G. Kendrick. I am the producer and host of this little digital get-together, and I want to thank you very, very much for being here. If you're a regular or semi-regular listener on the podcast, you'll know it's been a while since episode 60 came out. That was my interview with Michael Laskin about his book, The Authentic Actor. What have I been doing? Why has it taken so long to get to episode 61? Well, I've been really wrapped up in a very new project for me, a different project, something I've wanted to do for a long time, and that was narrate an audiobook. Not only did I narrate the audiobook, but I also served as the producer. What does that mean? Well, that means that I recorded all the audio, I edited all the audio, I did all the pickups that were necessary where mistakes were found, and then I mastered all of the audio in a way that conformed with what was needed to make the audio acceptable to Audible, so they would release it as an audiobook. And because this was my first attempt at an audiobook narration and production, it took a while. I really didn't have time to get any podcast episodes out, and I apologize for that. But this has been a really terrific exploration for me and the entry into a new part of the acting business that I've been interested in for a long time, but didn't until recently have the tools to really get into. And I'll talk about some of that in this episode. From the novel to the audiobook, that's the journey we're taking in episode 61 of Actors Talk Podcast. If you're an actor and you want to explore audiobook narration, but you don't know exactly where to start, hopefully this episode will give you some information you can use. I really urge you to visit the website, actorstalkpodcast.com forward slash 61 for the show notes, because I'll have a lot more information there in regards to audiobook production of what I went through in producing this particular audiobook than is included in the interview. In this episode, I'll be talking with my good friend, John Jones. In the interview, you'll hear me refer to him as John J. Asher. That is his pen name. And as John Asher, he's written a number of short stories and a collection of short stories, in fact, called Stories from Separation, Texas. He's also written novels, A Dignified Exit, Yellow Mesquite, as well as The Dogs of Mexico. This episode's a little bit different in that it was not recorded via a Skype interview. It was recorded in person in John's home. So other than the intro remarks that you're listening to right now and some brief outro remarks at the end, all of the audio in this episode was recorded live on a Zoom H4N portable recorder. Again, don't forget to check the show notes on the Actors Talk website for more information about where to get John's literary works or if you want more information about pursuing audiobook narration as a part of your acting business. Now on to my interview with author... John J. Asher. Well, I appreciate you joining us. This episode is brought to you by the good folks at audible.com. They are the leader in audiobook distribution. If you're not familiar with them, you go on over to audibletrial.com forward slash actors talk. That's audibletrial.com forward slash actors talk. And you can get a 30 day free trial of Audible. And among the things you can get is a copy of The Dogs of Mexico, absolutely free, as one of your free choices. If you don't want to keep the uh, subscription canceled before 30 days and there's no charge, you still keep whatever books you get during that 30-day period. So audibletrial.com forward slash actors talk. Thanks to Audible for sponsoring this episode. John J. Asher, 
Thank you so much for allowing me into your house to talk about our experience producing The Dogs of Mexico as an audiobook. I really appreciate you doing that. Well, thank you, Tommy. It's a real honor to be here. Well, we are easily honored. <laughs> <laughs> I've listened to your podcast from the beginning, and uh, I'm in uh, elite company. <laughs> oh, thank you. Thank you so much. Well, what we're going to talk about is mostly... I'd like to talk about the audiobook process from your point of view, from the writer's point of view. I know what I went through, and I'll probably throw in a couple of points along the way that may be of some interest to the actors who are narrators, who want or want to be narrators along the way. But I'd like to get your point of view mostly. But before we do that, let's give the people a little bit of background on John J. Asher. I think you grew up in West Texas. I'm wondering how the place you grew up influenced your desire to be an artist, and how you went about accomplishing or fulfilling that desire. Did you grow up in West Texas? Uh, yes, Tommy, uh, I, I did, uh, about 100 years ago. <laughs> <laughs> I'm only partly kidding. The, the times have changed so much. And uh, looking back, it seems like almost every decade of my life is almost like a different life. Back in the early days, it's almost like a different world. Things yeah. have changed so much. and. Uh, when I was uh, very young, they didn't bring electricity to West Texas until the mid-40s. In fact, a friend of mine lived with his uncle, and they put the pole right up out in his front yard, and he wouldn't let them hook it up. He was afraid of it. Oh, that's <laughs> so funny. That's quite a distance from That's quite a long time ago. Yeah. Now, where did you grow up specifically? Uh, this was south of Sweetwater, a little uh, place called Nolan, a farm community out there, and okay. uh, dry land farming. And uh, I told my mom once, I heard, ancestors must have had the law hot on their tail to have settled in a place like that. <laughs> yeah, I'm just curious because in your books, you write often about a community called Separation, Texas. Yeah. Is there a Separation, Texas, or what does Separation <laughs> fill in for? Uh, actually, the, the little, uh, the, the town, quote, town was called Nolan, but the high school was called Divide, Divide High School, and uh, it's on a plateau up there, right, I'd say 10 or 15 miles across. And then where you go off, you go off through the canyons, and supposedly the water on one side runs into the Colorado and the other side runs into the Brazos. We always say going up on the divide, and everybody talks about going to the divide. I didn't want to use that specifically, but thinly disguised yeah. separation. <laughs> well, now, where does a guy from a little town in West Texas, south of Sweetwater, yes. <laughs> how does how does a guy in that geographical locale find an interest in the arts? Is it just something that was born into you? And how early did you recognize that? Uh, you know, Tommy, I don't know if I can answer that truthfully. I'll just drew all my life. You know, I was a kid in school sitting on the back seat drawing while everybody else was working. I always liked it. And then, uh, when I got out, I ended up down in Port Arthur for a while. And, uh, uh, and that's the first uh, association I had with any artist at all. And uh, I managed to get from there up to New York. I went to art school at the School of Visual Arts. Okay. Went up into Westport, Connecticut and taught at the famous artist schools and worked as a Layout artist. I worked as a uh, freelancer, a staff illustrator for Weekly Reader. I'm sure a lot of people my age know Weekly Reader. I sure do. <laughs> you know, then I freelanced until oh, about eight or ten years ago, and I was doing educational materials, and uh, that work began to go offshore. It just kind of fizzled out, and that was 
pretty okay with me. It was nice having a little money coming in, but I liked writing. I was fooling around with words quite a bit by yeah. then. And, uh, so, so that's kind of the, you know, I still like it. I don't know. You know, I was, I was interested in being a painter when I went to school and, uh, that whole thing kind of, well, I had a gallery. Uh, this is a sad story. Okay. <laughs> Get your crowd right. <laughs> <laughs> It'll be interesting. Tell me well, about it. Well, uh, I got a gallery, I think it was in 76, uh, Chase Gallery in New York. And uh, and I said I got them. The, the guy told me, he said, bring in three of your paintings this fall, and uh, we'll see what kind of a response we get to them. And... Uh, and then, for you know, my house burned down with all my paintings that summer. I had like 54 oils and 30-some-odd watercolors and, and a lot of art books. I had a wall full of books. And, all and you that. lost all of that? Yeah. yeah. Oh, wow. And uh, I just never got back into the art again after that. And I, <laughs> I know I was I actually spent that winter running a little studio down in Chester, Connecticut. And I was thinking that I had that property over there and uh, had a foundation and a good well and septic system. So I decided that, you know, I would just rebuild on that same place. You know, foods rush in where angels are. That's what I said. I think I must have been a little addled. <laughs> I, it's kind of funny. I, I uh, got a book on basic construction and I built a balsa wood model to, uh, to a scale. Right. To make sure. Oh, my goodness. Yeah, well, that's what's funny. So you I, built it yourself? Yeah, I did all the work, every bit of it. You know, it took me years. That I did build that house. And that's then, interesting. And I sold it, you know, 20 years ago and moved back to Austin. And, wow. You know, so. Interesting. Let me go back just for a minute yes, because I'm sure. curious. When you went to Port, you, you made it to Port Arthur, so I'm not sure what took you from West Texas to Port Arthur other than, I mean, was it a job or? I went down there and, uh, with the intention of going to work at the Gulf Oil Refinery. Sure. Uh-huh. But you had to be 21 and I was 19. I went to work in a shipyard there as a grunt. Okay. And so uh, you were drawing, just all the time. sketching yeah, and yeah, drawing, yeah. but had the notion that I want to try and do this professionally. Had that sort of come into your head at that point yet? Well, I never had thought I would have had a chance to do that. Uh, there was, it was too, you know, I didn't have any schooling in it at all. I did do a couple of freelance jobs for, there were a couple of magazines in Austin, uh, True West and Frontier Times. I did a couple of little spot things for them along, but, uh, but I met a, a couple of artists in the Beaumont Port Arthur area and, uh, they were, pretty accomplished artist and we became friends and one of them went to New York about a year ahead of me before I did. I was working for the Gulf Oil Corporation. I had about 500 people under me in seniority and when I left I had 35. They wow. were laying off people because of automation. Oh sure, on, sure. You know, so they were offering a severance pay and uh, I thought this is my chance to take the money and run. Okay. <laughs> so, and that's when you went to New York? Yeah, I made up a portfolio that summer and that fall I went. And <laughs> wow, that's, <laughs> yeah. that's pretty interesting. So we've already heard about the really tragic situation where yeah. some years later you had all of yeah. this artwork you had compiled yeah. Yeah. and you had the fire and lost it all. And it sounds like that really sort of devastated you. Maybe Was it an emotional disconnect at that point? Was it just too much pain or work or whatever to go back and try and and reestablish that much work that you had done? Probably a little bit of all of that. And plus, 
I was becoming disillusioned with the direction art was taking. It was, uh, you know, they were dumping a dump truck load of dirt in a gallery and, you know, calling it art. And, yeah. Uh, and uh, a lot of that stuff, in fact, I just took a road trip with a friend out to Marfa, and they have the Chinati Foundation there, and there was a well-known artist, Donald Judd, and John Chamberlain, and several of those guys were, I think of them as minimalists. They called themselves something else, open air or whatever, but I, I was looking at some of that work, and, you know, it looks dated. It uh, looks like 1984 Dodson's. <laughs> <laughs> Whereas you can look back at a great work of art in its time. Well, you know, yeah. that's, I don't know. I'm, yeah. you know that's, uh, we all have our opinions of what art sure. is. And uh, I really liked the abstract expressionist. And uh, uh, after that, uh, there were a couple of little movements. But right. uh, so I don't know. I've wondered what I would have done had I kept going. Uh, yeah. but, but, you know, that's... Yeah, so, but for the last 20 years or so, you've really concentrated more on your writing. Yes, uh, yeah. When did now when when did you start to write? You said you drew, you drew and sketched from as long as you can remember. Yeah. What about what about writing? Did you keep journals as a kid uh, or no, anything like I that? I never did anything like okay. that, you know. I, I would write a little piece of something once in a while, but it was just piecemeal and uh then uh my wife at the time and I took a trip down to Mexico. We flew into Mexico City and uh, rented a car in the Dogs of Mexico, the novel we're talking about. Uh, that's where I began to get the idea for that novel. I didn't really have this idea for it, but what we did, we rented this car, as I said, and we made the same trek that uh, Robert makes in this novel. Robert Bonnard, he's the Bob, protagonist. Bob, the protagonist, yeah, yeah. Okay. And uh, I made... Uh, an hour of video and uh, four hours of audio recording to just what we were seeing along the way. And I didn't know what I was going to do with it at the time. I just figured I'd do something sometime. And uh, <clears throat> there, there, there's a lot of roadkill down there. I mean, I feel very bad about this. There's all these poor dogs, and they just seem to be left there. And uh, we drove up to this... Uh, Pachutla, there's uh -huh. this little Mexican village out from Pueblo off out there, and uh, there's a, a a hill, pretty good sized little hill, and supposedly there's an ancient ruin under that hill, and there's a big church on top of it. And so we drove up there, and uh, again there was a poor mangy old dog right in the doorway, and the title just came to me: "The Dogs of Mexico." And I I didn't mean it literally as the dogs, you know, that we had seen, but as I thought I didn't know what the story was going to be, but I knew that was going to be a metaphor for the people. I knew it was going to be that dark. <laughs> right. Okay. And uh, and, I, and I, so we went in the church there, and every little village in Mexico, rural villages all down through there, every one of them have a church up on the hill, and uh, some of them are pretty. Uh, I don't know if ostentatious is the word on the inside. You know, poor people outside out, right. but. Gold leafed inside with all the angels entwining, you know, all the, and, uh, a couple of guys were there, uh, overseers and, uh, taking donations and I guess making sure nobody chiseled off the gold and ran away <laughs> with it. <laughs> but, uh, 
That was where I got the idea. Okay. Was, at least we had the title first. That's interesting. Now, had you written a novel before The Dogs of Mexico? Because you have several other novels that are available, um, Dignify, A Dignified Exit and Yellow Mesquite in particular. Had you written those novels already, or was Dogs of Mexico, did Dogs of Mexico precede those works? Well, let me go back. Okay, I, I sure. had written little pieces and parts of all of them, except for one. Okay. And, and a dignified exit. Uh, I was having dinner with a friend of mine one night, and she was head of the Austin Hospice Volunteers. And uh, she, we were talking. She was just people, you know, poor people dying and whatever. And I just kind of offhandedly said, well, I think if I found out I had a terminal disease, I wouldn't tell anybody. I would just tell my family and friends I'm going down to Mexico to paint. She said, well, why would you do that? And I said, well, I wouldn't want to be a burden on, you know, everybody. And she said, that's the worst thing I ever heard in my life. <laughs> <laughs> I thought it was pretty noble. Yeah, okay. <laughs> but uh, so I was on the way home that night, and I thought, yeah, that's kind of an interesting idea, argument for a book. Right. So, and, I, and I did publish that one first. Oh, okay. Yeah, and... Uh, but I even took another car trip down to Mexico. A friend of mine, we made a 10-day trip and uh, went to uh, San Miguel de Allende. That's where most of that dignified eggs. I don't know where I have this thing from Mexico. I, I was going to have to go, keep going. I'll ask you about that in a second because I had a question about uh, that. Yeah. So, yeah, we went down there and uh, went around and getting authentic locations. Right. And, uh, and uh, I, you know, the same thing with the dogs of Mexico. I wanted... A lot of people make that trip down there and right. have, and they know all that country. And I didn't want them reading the book and saying, what he's talking about, you know. Yeah. And fortunately, even though it was a few years since I made that trip down for dogs was based on, very little changes in Mexico in terms of, uh, what do you call it, structure. Improvements, uh, infrastructure. Yeah, yeah, and that yeah kind of infrastructure. Yeah. Uh-huh. There's one one major highway that they've re-split and rerouted a speedway through it. Right. But uh, and there was a few things where I had questions I, I couldn't quite remember. I think it's Highway 200 runs all the way along the coast down there, and I believe it's 175 cuts off at Puerto Hall and goes back up to Pueblo. And uh, but I couldn't remember what was there. So you know, you go on Google and uh, yeah. Google Earth and go right down yeah. there. Yeah. There's the signs up there. Oh, yeah, okay, I remember that. Yeah. Let's talk about your creative process here for a second because I find this interesting. I've been fortunate enough to know a few songwriters in my life, and I'll, and sometimes they've told me how, how a song came about. And sometimes they think of, you know, they hear, they hear a snippet of a conversation, just as you were talking about your, your dinner with this lady and, yeah. and you know, yeah. a dignified exit, where that came from. They'll hear a snippet of conversation or they'll see a billboard or a sign or something and yeah. it generates an idea. So sometimes they'll get the title first or the concept yeah. and then write the song. Yeah. In, in The Dogs of Mexico, sort of similar, you had the title first, exactly. but you didn't have the story. Is that typical for the way your creative process works, or is there a typical for how you uh, fashion a story? Where does a, where does a story normally begin, if there is such a thing, for John J. Asher? <laughs> well, yeah, I don't, you know, I, I don't know if I can answer that. They okay. just kind of come winging in from the infinite. <laughs> but yeah. really, I, you know, that's a... Uh, uh, sometimes after the fact, in the uh, novel Yellow Mesquite, 
that's uh, it doesn't make much sense just on the surface. It's not like a western, you know. Right. But uh, the there's a point in there. The, there's a big argument on here, or or a discussion, or between uh, the creative process and uh, and uh, money, okay, you know, riches and. Uh, so this, money, uh, art versus commerce, huh? Exactly. Yeah. Okay. You got it. Yeah. yeah. And uh, he's painted this painting on the wall in, in uh, yellow mesquite, you know. And the old man is a rich, self-made old man, you know. He's really ignorant. He hasn't been schooled, but he's a savant, you know. He makes how to make money. And he said, "Look at that painting on the wall there, a yellow mesquite. Ain't nobody in God's green earth ever seen a yellow mesquite." And so that's the 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 friction between them, as you say, the how, the money and art and commerce. Right. And uh, the whole story is pretty much that. He's trying to make it as an artist. And, uh, you know, all the way along the way, there's commerce. So Yeah, and that's in that's in the novel Yellow Mesquite. Yeah. yeah okay. Uh, well, well let's... Getting off. No, that's okay. That's, no, I'm, I'm asking you about your creative process, and I find that, I mean, I find that fascinating. Yeah. I have tried to write in the past... Yeah. And I guess I have written just not very well. Yeah. And so when I encounter someone like you who does it well, I sort of like to pick your brain and figure out how, how does a creative, creative process work for you? It's different for everyone, yeah, yeah. but it's, it's just fascinating to me to hear how that works. And well, you know, Tommy, uh, you mentioned that. I do, this, this does happen to me that whatever I decided, this was true with painting also and even with illustration work. When you first get the job or an idea, you're kind of scrabbling around on the surface of it. You know, you're without, you know, you can't. And then if you just keep on keeping on, after a while, you start getting parameters. There's, get a toehold here. There's a, a relationships take place. You start being able to play off of things. And that doesn't, that doesn't always happen in the very beginning. You right. Know? So the one I'm working on now started off strictly as an idea. And it's taken me a long time. It sounded very soulless, you know. Uh-huh. So now I'm getting into it, I right. think. So it starts taking on. So, so what you're saying is, on the dogs of Mexico, you didn't sit down and two or three months later you had no. the book. <laughs> <laughs> I'll just tell you briefly. I took that uh, first sixty pages of it up to Bradloaf Writers Conference, which is like the Rolls Royces conference that our back it was back then, and. Uh, Tim O'Brien, I came around and asked me, could he uh, workshop it? You know, he said, I always pick the good stuff to workshop. So, you know, my head, yes, yeah, sure. But we took the workshop, and uh, he and uh, Jay Perini was the assistant director of the Red Loaf Writers Conference in cahoots with uh, the big college there, Middlebury College. Okay. And then there was the art director of Playboy magazine, and she's a She's all walking back and forth, flipping her hair, you know, and Tim is tearing my novel to pieces. He said, what's the matter with this guy? Is he crazy? <laughs> and, and this and, is uh, dogs? Yeah. Okay. <laughs> so then we went out. Well, you had an hour consultation with him a couple of days. Well, the next day, his assistant, Jay Perini, came around, and he said, how much of that novel do you have finished? And I said, just 60 pages, you know, that's all. He said, well, I scout for a guy down in uh, New York, one of my friends at Henry Holt. And he said, why don't you send that to him? And I said, are we talking about the same novel? Because <laughs> he just tore it apart in front of everybody, huh? <laughs> he yeah. said, oh, don't pay attention to him. He's always that way, you know. Yeah, that's uh, funny. But, uh, yeah, the guy, really, his name is Rod Kelly. He's uh, 
son of uh, Malcolm Kelly, who was a pretty famous guy back in the 40s. And uh, he loved it. I have his letter still, you know, I can't tell you how much I enjoyed this. Really terrific prose. Can't wait to see. Well, I sent him the whole thing before the next conference, and I didn't hear anything back. And uh, I got to Breadloaf, and the first guy I run into is Jay Perini, and he said, what's happening to your novel? I said, I don't know. I sent it to Rob, and I haven't heard anything back. He said, well, I'm not surprised he got fired. Oh. <laughs> so, you know, it, it, nobody else would pick it up. You know? uh-huh. so he probably got fired for taking that novel. <laughs> I'm glad he didn't take it. It was a, he was going to either do a lot of work on it because it was a mess at that time. You know? So it was very different then oh, than yeah, it is now. Totally. That's interesting. In fact, I probably had a half a dozen different beginnings, false starts on right. that novel. I started off all over the pasture, you know. Right. He was, uh, at one point, he was uh, working for a Cuban mafia boss uh, selling boats in Florida on the run, kind of, mm-hmm. and uh, a whole lot of different, before I finally, it took him, you know, it didn't just go sit down to the typewriter and go to work. Right. Yeah, writing <laughs> yeah, is, writing yeah, is yeah. what do they say? It's, I don't like writing, I like having written, exactly, or something like exactly. that. <laughs> Yeah. A lot of work. Yeah. Well, let's let's uh, segue into the audiobook thing. Yes, a few months ago, this guy sitting across from you, that would be me, came to you and said, hey, I just took this class called the ACX Audiobook uh, Master Class where I've done yep. learned how to do something I've yep. been interested in for a while, just didn't have the skills. And I've taken a, a really good class on audiobook production. And... I'm just wondering if you would allow me to turn The Dogs of Mexico into an audiobook. What was your first thought, if you recall, even me coming to you with that idea? Was it something you were open to? Had you ever thought of it yourself? Or was it, um, you know, where did that fit on your radar? Well, uh, I guess I had thought of it in the abstract, you know, but not specifically. I didn't have the means or whatever to do that. And uh, I was really pleased. I knew your work. You know, we've been friends for a long time, and you, uh, you, you've you, done a lot of really good acting with a lot of variety of parts, everything from evangelist to uh, mentally, you know, or... Mentally challenged. Yeah, yeah. exactly. And uh, you did a good job, so I wouldn't... I felt good about it. I know he can do that. Yet at the same time, as you know, some of those pages have got like a half a dozen different voices on them in the same page. There's a Hispanic guy and a German guy and a woman and a redneck and a protagonist <laughs> and not to mention the narrator. It, it, <laughs> so it, it did that, present a challenge at times, but it, it was a lot of fun. I wondered if you were going to quit when you got... <laughs> <laughs> no, no, no chance. Yeah. So, and this part fascinates me too. You, you... When you write, you have to hear these characters speaking to you in whatever voice is in your head. So what was it like when I started sending you audio files where these characters are speaking however I interpreted it? Did that take some adjustment on your part, or how was that for you as the writer? Well, Tommy, no, it really didn't take a lot of adjustment. In fact, uh, uh, I was listening to it in there, and I'd be so happy about it once in a while I'd laugh out loud and it was really really good uh, I was curious how you were going to handle the female parts but that worked it didn't really you know I didn't I don't other people do that all the time I suppose but uh, and of course I heard it differently when I was writing it right. I, you know I heard a female voice but 
I don't think listening to it you would ever be aware that it, you know it segued perfectly into it. So, oh, thank you. No, yeah. that was uh, well from my point of view on on the. I mean, of course, this was my first audio book, yep. so I'm sure I made you know terrible mistakes along the way, and I learned so much. And of course, I went back and re-recorded things <laughs> if I didn't think they were good enough. But in terms of the female voice, and this may be helpful to someone else who's contemplating narrating an audio book, is that. You know, I made the decision to try not to, not to try and put on a female voice. Just yeah. you know, just a slight change yeah, in yeah, in tone yeah, and yeah. volume, probably most yeah, of the time. Yeah. Uh, and then people then people can understand that the female speaking. Yeah. And of course, the writer gives usually gives good clues. Well, there'll be a line that says she said or he said or whatever. So hopefully, you know, yeah. And and usually that is enough along with the different, uh, slightly different inflection or vocal tone or style will clue the the listener in that it's the female character speaking. Yeah. Yeah. So the ones I was listening to, just as an aside, I was listening to a sample of someone else's audio book and I won't say, I don't even remember who it was, but they, they had a lot of audio books up on Audible and a female character came in, and it was so caricatured and over the top yeah, and yeah. high pitched. And I went, yeah. "Oh my goodness, I I couldn't listen to this for, yeah. you know, six or eight or ten hours, yeah. you know." And so I'm glad I didn't take that approach. Although I, apparently it's been very successful for that person, but it didn't odd, it, it didn't appeal to me yeah. personally yeah. that way. So I don't I don't know. Well, I certainly don't know everything. This is you know, my first shot at it. So. Well, as a writer, you want to try to get rid of anything that looks like work and keep your reader in that, what they call the vivid and continuous dream. And I think you did that very successfully Thank in you. the audio book. I never felt jarred out of the, you know, and uh, it was, some of them were so spot on with it. I, I told you, I really did laugh. I spilled my coffee. <laughs> <laughs> well, I appreciate it. I mean, you know, and it's the same thing on the acting side. Yeah. You know, if if they can see you acting, then that's yeah. that's not yeah. good acting. Yeah, you don't exactly. you don't yeah. want to be able to see the work, yeah. as you say, whether it's yeah. in the writing yeah. or the yeah. acting. Yeah. So, yeah. Yeah. yeah, in writing, you have to keep doing it and keep doing it, and fixing this and fixing that until you, it becomes real. You know, that's the way it happened. It couldn't. That's that's just the way it happened. It couldn't be any other way. I think you told me the other day that you wrote it until you believed it. Yes, exactly. You know, I yeah. thought that was a yeah. great insight. Well, I know there. that all really happened in Dogs of Mexico. I feel bad for those people. <laughs> Let's talk about Mexico for a second, because you alluded to this earlier, and I want, I'm glad I remembered to get back to it. Dogs of Mexico, in, in the Dogs of Mexico, the country of Mexico is a major character in this book, really. Yes. And then in A Dignified Exit, it also has, Mexico plays a role in that. Yeah. What is it for John Asher about Mexico that you find fertile ground for your imagination as a writer? What is it that, that, that you really like to delve into there? Because I find that interesting. Tommy, that's a question. I don't know if I can answer that or not. I, I find that the Mexico culture and the people in the land all fascinating. I think of the place as a character, as you mentioned, the place is character. And uh, I try to write descriptions of places that emphasize what's happening in the story. You know, you can choose what you want to focus on in a description of a place. And uh, Mexico is... I'd always thought of it as being this bright, happy place. There's uh, sunshine and cheer. And uh, 
I don't feel like that at all. I feel like it's pretty dark and ominous. You know, there's a, there's this thinly, this guy's layer of Catholicism over the old ancient beliefs. There's a lot of superstition, as you know. There are people down there right now turning corn stalks into snakes and and uh, that's really does fascinate me. There's a fixation on uh, death. They don't take it like we do. I mean, they celebrate it. They walk around the street and every every shop corner, every window's got skulls and candy, sugar, apples, and you know, everything. It's all, and they don't think anything about it. The graves are decorated. They're all made up and painted magenta and green and yellow, and they're full of glass and photos and plastic flowers and and. Uh, uh, that culture, the people are just great. I had such a nice time down there. Every trip I've ever been down there, the people have been more than gracious. Right. Really, really likable. And I I like going down there and just kind of hanging out. Yeah. You know? I don't really speak Spanish. but yeah. Well, it's kind of fun hearing you talk about that because so many of those little details yeah. that you just mentioned, of course, they're woven through the yeah. story yeah. of the dogs of Mexico. Yeah. They're they're part of the fabric yeah. of this story yeah. that, that give it, I think, an, an authenticity. And, uh, you know, I really appreciated yeah. that about it. So let me ask you this, Mr. Asher, having been through this process <laughs> yeah. of uh, having your words spoken by someone else and turned into an audio book, how did the finished product comport with maybe your expectations when we first started on this? Did you have any idea how it would turn out? Did Were your expectations sort of modest or did you know or were there any expectations about how it would well, turn out no i thought i expected it was going to turn out to be pretty good i just didn't know it was going to be that good you know i wanted to go out and get a bottle of champagne <laughs> <laughs> no, I'm, I'm, I'm serious i'm really pleased with it and uh, every chapter you know you, I, your audience probably doesn't know but you do a chapter every day or two and then you send it to me and uh I'd get up next morning with my coffee and listen to it. Right. And uh, also, I saw at the top up there that the time you mailed it would be like 2.15 in the morning. I thought, geez, poor Tommy. Well, you know, the, that's an interesting thing. Where Maybe I'll just mention for the actors yeah. who are interested in, in doing audiobook narration, I don't have a studio. I don't have a soundproof yeah. studio. I record in a corner of my office, which is just another room in the house. And so in order to get to a time of day... That's quiet enough, along with all the the blankets and stuff I have piled around my my uh, recording area. In, in order for that to be yeah. quiet enough and to, for the sound to be pristine enough to pass muster for Audible, I would ha I had to find a time I could do that. And that started about nine o'clock at night when everybody was in bed, and I could turn off the air conditioner in the house so there wouldn't be that sound to deal with, and and there wouldn't be a lot of birds chirping outside or too many motorcycles going by or all that kind of thing. So I would generally work from about nine until two on a chapter or two a night, and it became my goal over time to make sure that I had at least one chapter, hopefully every night as we as I got going so that I could upload it to ACX so that John Asher could get up in the morning and get his cup of coffee and have something new to listen to. That became sort of a motivating thing for me to do that. And because it's a, it is a lot of work and there are some things that you have to work out as a narrator, as an actor, if you're going to record at home. But what I'm here to say, I guess, is it can be done. I was afraid of that process for a long time. And it wasn't until I had taken this ACX uh, audiobook masterclass 
that I really got the training and which gave me the confidence to know that, yeah, you know what? I, I can do this on the technological end. I don't know how it's going to come out on the acting end, but I can, I can produce a product that will pass muster. And so can the actor who's listening to me that maybe have that interest, you know, something you should really explore. So. Well, you mentioned the number of hours too. Yeah. I mean, it's each finished hour. Uh, there's, tw- it's about 12 and a half hours. Uh, the, the dogs of Mexico finished. And of course, this was my first book. So it took me longer than it might in, in future books. Yeah. But I spent between six and 10 hours of work to get a finished hour because yeah. I was, I would record and then, uh, pick up any mistakes that I made. And then you have to edit that and then master it so that it meets the, uh, specifications of ACX Audible in terms of their audio fidelity. And then so all of that to me, depending on how long the chapter would be, and also chapters that have more narrative and less dialogue and yeah. characters interacting, yeah. they're, they go quicker. Yeah, but like sure. you say, if you have yeah. a chapter that's uh, 20 pages long and there are four or five characters in it with different uh, accents, you, you, you have the uh, you know, the, the Mexican guy, the, the really, the, the meth head, who's yeah. one of the guys, and you yeah. have a redneck, and you have yeah. a German guy, yeah. and the woman, and it's, at times in there, they're all interacting yeah. pretty much at the same yeah. time. And then there are times when there's a lot of action going on, too. There's, you know, a tremendous amount of action at places in the book. So that, that stuff was a real challenge to get right. And so, you know, I didn't want to, I didn't want to just breeze through it and, and, you know, say, well, that's good enough. Certainly not. That's just not usually the way I do. So, I was. It was a lot of fun. Well, I know you have a podcast. Did you have to buy extra equipment to do this? No, actually, I I, I ended up getting a different microphone than the microphone I use yeah. for my podcast. But the microphone that they recommended in class, and I'm glad I went ahead and got that. It's a it's a Audio Technica uh, 2020 USB mic, to, and specifically USB plus. And it actually cost about half what the microphone I've been using for my podcast cost. But it's a different kind of microphone, and it made a big difference, I think, yeah. in the in the yeah. sound yeah. ultimately. And so, you know, you can get started in this audiobook narration in your home for probably a couple of hundred dollars, literally. I mean, that's that's a realistic yeah. expectation. It doesn't take thousands or tens of thousands of dollars. Yeah. You know, it's it's not perfect, and you do have to you know, work around some challenges, but it's, it's very doable. And hopefully the people that hear this book will say, wow, you, you did that in your house with equipment, with equipment that, you know, not counting the computer, of course, with the equipment that that cost a couple of hundred dollars. That's pretty good. So So you live in a better neighborhood than I do. (laughs) My people are all just waking up at nine or 10 o'clock at night and the motorcycles and the car engines and the pistol shots and they all go to sleep in the morning. So I might not have to do mine in the morning. That's funny. We know when I I recorded some of it in the morning, I would get up. And that's the other thing in terms of acting is depending on the time of day that you're recording, your voice energy is different. Your timber can be different. You know, my sweet spot time would be really from about 10 or 11 o'clock in the morning till yeah. 2 in the afternoon. That's yeah. when I think my voice is at its strongest. Yeah. So I had to really adjust. I would have to take a nap so that when I got in there at 9 yeah. o'clock, I didn't sound tired. 
you know. And so would your if, voice run down beginning of a chapter to the end? Could well, if it, if it were really if it, it were really long, my end, I couldn't tell. You. Yeah, sometimes, and then I I missed about a month of recording, six weeks, I think, actually, because I had oh, a really yeah. bad allergy yeah. problem, got yeah. bronchitis yeah. and all this stuff, and and I just I couldn't couldn't yeah. do it. Yeah. And you know that uh, unfortunately, I had a rights holder. Mr. Asher here, who was extremely <laughs> patient no, and didn't put any pressure on me at all, right. but otherwise that could have been a problem in completing the book. So yeah, I, this I was your baby. That. You do it at your own. <laughs> well, that's what you kept saying, and I, I appreciate that. Yeah, yeah. Well, would you do it again? Sure. <laughs> in a New York minute, as they say. Yeah. All right. Yeah, well, listen. I appreciate what you did, Tommy. Uh, I really do. That was been a great experience, and I'm really pleased with the product yeah well i i hope so i am too. I, I actually can't listen to it anymore because all i hear are things i i should have i wish i could have done that but you know that's a, the actor's lament you know there are a lot of a lot of uh, big time actors yeah. can't even watch themselves on screen yeah. because it's, it's too yeah. you know they, uh, they you know they want to go funny. back and yeah. get another take you know that's so. funny I, the same thing was true in illustration i knew a guy was really good in, uh, back in those days, they used to take the uh, illustration work in from Westport on the train. It was like an hour in. And he'd think, oh, this is terrible. This is the worst thing I've ever done. They're going to they're gonna reject this. He'd get up there, take it in, and show it to the art director. He said, yeah, that looks good. Let me go get the editor's people. And he said, I'm looking at it. He said, you know, that's not too bad. And the time the editors come back, yeah, then, you know, that's great. We love this. He said, well, I didn't know I was that good. That's really good. Oh, that's <laughs> so I think that happens with... All the art, we're never happy with, you know, it's always something more that could be done to right. it. Right. Well, I'm, I thought I'm, it was really good. Oh, thank you. Really, I appreciate it. It was, it was such a kick for me because I, I had had an interest in doing this for a long yeah. time, but I just didn't have the tools. Yeah. And didn't even know how to, how to go about, yeah, you know, getting sure. the tools. Yeah. And even though I've been in the business, the acting business for decades, this was an area I had never pursued and didn't really know how to pursue. Yeah. So I was really glad to get this class yeah. that was so good and taught me the things that I needed to know. So I was able to do that. So, you know, I'm good. If I did nothing else acting wise for the next 10 years, but uh, narrate audiobooks, yeah. I'd be okay with that. It's, it's a yeah. lot of fun. It's a challenge. And it, and it's, I can't tell you how fulfilling it was on yeah. my side when I was able to hit, I'm done on that ACX page and say, I've, <laughs> I've finished all the recording. You know, it's, it's, it was such, it was a real sense of accomplishment. And then again, not because you were sick of it. Not at all. Not at all. It was a sense of accomplishment of, of having done it and completed yeah. it, yeah. completed that part of the journey. And yeah. then it got even better, you know, a few days later when it actually went up for sale on yeah. uh, Audible and Amazon yeah. and iTunes. So it's an exciting experience. Yeah, it was. Well, I want to thank you for doing that again. Oh, just, thank you. Oh, thanks. The, the audience, I want you to know that this episode is brought to you by audible.com. Audible has over 180,000 audiobook titles at your disposal. As I said, if you go to audibletrial.com forward slash actors talk, you can get a free 30 day trial. You can get this book. I think you get two books uh, as part of the deal. If you get The Dogs of Mexico as one of your free books, if you would get that as your first selection, that would help us a lot because that bumps the book up in the ratings and will allow other people to find it. That's audibletrial.com forward slash actors talk for the people at Audible. They, they just do a, a great job of publishing all these books, and I hope you'll take advantage of that. I will have links on the show notes not only about where you can get 
the Dogs of Mexico, which will be at Amazon or iTunes or Audible. But also we'll have links there to John J. Asher's uh, webpage on Amazon where you can see his other books. And uh, I think you'll want to check those out as well. But we hope you'll pick up a copy of the audiobook for The Dogs of Mexico. If you already have an Audible account, of course, you can just use one of your credits to get that. If not, take advantage of the free trial and we would love you for it. John, thanks again so much. I really appreciate you letting me come into your kitchen table and sit here and chat with you. You're, you've just been a, a terrific friend and a wonderful writer. And it was such a, a pleasure and an honor to have my very first audiobook production that I got to work on be your book, The Dogs of Mexico. Thank you. Well, thank you, Tommy. That was my pleasure all the way through. Oh, super. <laughs> we'll talk soon. My sincere thanks to John for allowing me to disrupt his normal routine and record this interview. You can also see a short video chat that I did with John if you visit actorstalkpodcast.com forward slash 61. Use the banner link on the website to secure your 30-day free trial to audible.com or just go to audibletrial.com forward slash actors talk audibletrial.com forward slash actors talk. Until next time, God bless you all. Thank you for supporting actors talk. And I hope to see you in the movies or maybe you'll hear me reading an audiobook. So long.